News Weekly is an ad-free listener-supported podcast made possible by subscribers like you. Just go to patreon.com slash Shah to support the podcast. Top Stories of the Week Albanese losing his voice Also, fuck Alan Joyce in his fucking face And blame the French All that and more on Newsweek Hello and welcome to News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines. That's right, weekly. Remember when the only time anyone said voice was when they were about to start singing John Farnham news now? When Labour won the last federal election, the newly anointed Prime Minister Anthony Albanese promised a time of healing and unity for Australia. I want to seek our common purpose and promote unity and optimism, not fear and division. He then showed that he had no understanding of the Australian people by announcing an intention to enshrine the voice to Parliament in the Constitution. And together we can embrace the Uluru Statement from the Heart. We can answer its patient, gracious call for a voice enshrined in our constitution. See, the problem is nothing spreads more fear and division in Australia than Indigenous issues. Just saying the word Aboriginal causes most of the population of the country to clench up. Even now, it's happening right now. I'll say words associated with First Nations people and you will all flinch. Here we go. Ready? Indigenous. You feel that? Feel your anus reacting? That's all Australians. How it reacts depends on your political and ideological bent. If every time you hear the word Aboriginal, your anus loosens and you think things like oldest continuing culture, always was, always will be, inspiring, and I should probably do another acknowledgement of country just to be safe, you're probably a white person with pink hair from one of the inner city suburbs who has indigenous flag socks on and doesn't have a single indigenous friend in your social circle. And if you hear the word Aboriginal and your anus slams tightly shut and you think things like uh, history has passed them by and they already get too much and what about white people, when do we get a chance? Then you're the parent of one of those inner city pink haired whites and maybe you used to be progressive once but now you've found yourself increasingly aroused by John Howard's eyebrows and negative gearing. Now, that's not all Australians, of course. There's also what's known as the silent majority, which relies on you believing Australians are capable of being silent about anything. So, the referendum for voice to parliament was always going to be divisive. Anthony Albanese thinking it wouldn't be has all the energy of an ABC management executive thinking putting a brown guy on a show to replace the previous white guy who said something racist on air will somehow make everyone forget the racism. Instead, everyone gets even more racist because the management guy forgot just how racist everyone actually is, which Albanese is just now starting to realise. Still, The promise was made, and unlike fighting climate change or helping with the rental crisis, this is one the Labour government has decided to keep. Today I announce that referendum day will be the 14th of October. 
On October 14th, Australians of voting age get to decide on the voice to Parliament, based entirely on whether or not they read The Guardian or watch Sky News After Dark. In fact, it would probably be easier to just decide this based on everyone's web browsing history. Albanese is already excited to race to the finish, seeing the entire event in running metaphors. For Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, this has been a marathon. For all of us, it is now a sprint. For some of us, it's less of a sprint and more of a drunken crawl. And for others, like Peter Dutton and John Howard, it's an opportunity to chase you up the street while screaming about Aboriginals taking over, or whatever the fuck they say. On October 14th, then, Australians will fill out a ballot paper with a yes or no answer, which means at least a sizable percentage will draw a cock and balls on it instead. Winning the campaign isn't easy, though. The yes campaign needs a majority of voters nationwide and a majority in at least four of the six states. The problem for the Yes campaign is that the No vote is currently leading in the polls, and of the various states, only Victoria and New South Wales are polling with a majority Yes. Queensland and WA are voting No, which is consistent with my opinion of both those shithole places, and South Australia and Tasmania are undecided, which is actually pretty on brand for them. Both sides are campaigning hard, with the Yes campaign even using several former Liberals like Julie Bishop and Malcolm Turnbull, the latter of whom seems to be on a mission to show us that he stands for a lot of things when there's nothing personally at stake for him in doing so. Turnbull, yeah, good to see you. Malcolm Turnbull lending his voice to the Yes campaign even though he didn't support a referendum while in the top job. This is a time when we should bend the arc of history. An arc of history that I should remind you he helped straighten in the first place. The No campaign is also hitting the road, with Peter Dutton coming up with his best catchy slogan yet. If you don't know, vote no. It tested better than his other option, which was Aboriginal No. And you know it's a pivotal point in Australian history when John Howard unbuckles himself from Rupert Murdoch's taint and gets involved. Australians do not like being bullied. They do not like receiving condescending advice. We have this, as I said, this scepticism, you know. What are they up to? What do they want? Just a reminder to John Howard that Indigenous people are also Australians, but somehow I don't think he remembers that when he says what are they up to and what do they want, given that they he's referring to are the same people he bullied and gave condescending advice about in, for example, 1997, when he claimed 78% of Australia's landmass was under threat from native title claims. Let me just show show your viewers that this, this shows 78% of the land mass of Australia coloured brown on this map. Now, the Labor Party and the Democrats are effectively saying that the Aboriginal people of Australia should have the potential right of veto over further development of 78% of the land mass of Australia. They weren't saying that then, and no one's being bullied right now. Now, this isn't to say that there aren't valid arguments not to vote for voice. For some, a constitutional change isn't worth what's being asked for here. Others might worry about the effectiveness of an advisory body that is now permanently enshrined. There are rebuttals to these arguments, and then there are counter-rebuttals to those as well. But it's highly unlikely many Australians will hear them. Instead, the yes side is going to call everyone on the no side racist, and the no side is going to help that argument along by recruiting actual racists to speak for it. Either way, the next few weeks are going to bring out the worst in everybody. And no matter which side wins, Indigenous Australians are going to cop a ton of abuse along the way. Which, I guess, is the Australian way of doing things.
Qantas CEO Alan Joyce is a fucking fuck. News now. That's it. That's that's the news. Alan Joyce is a giant fucking fuck. No further details needed. Okay, fine. You you want context? Fine. I'll give you some context. Qantas is again under fire for its treatment of customers and its business practices. The national carrier is being accused of ripping off thousands of passengers by selling them flights it had already cancelled, leaving them scrambling for alternate travel plans and out of pocket. See, I told you, he got Qantas to sell tickets to non-existent flights. Fucking fuck, I said I said it. Okay, fine, you need more evidence? How about this then? Qantas last week admitted to holding on to $370 million in flight credits. But at the inquiry, it became clear that including Jetstar and its international division would make the figure far higher. That's right. They were holding on to millions of dollars worth of airline credits from flights cancelled during COVID lockdowns. And the chance to reclaim those credits was expiring in December until a Senate inquiry and an impending ACCC investigation forced them to change that policy. And then, by the way, here's some more context for why Alan Joyce is a fucking fuck. And there's been some puzzlement over the past couple of weeks over the decision by the Federal Transport Minister Catherine King to refuse a request from Qatar Airways to operate 28 more flights a week into Australia. The expansion of Qatar Airways into this country was opposed by Qantas and its chief executive, Alan Joyce. That expansion would have driven down ticket prices nationwide, but the federal government turned it down after Alan Joyce politely asked it to. Um, Mr Joyce, in relation to the decision to grant the Prime Minister's son a Chairman's Lounge access, uh, did you have any discussions with the Prime Minister regarding that decision? Um, again, I'm not going to comment on Chairman's Club membership. I've got privacy issues uh, where we, we, we will not comment on who's in, who's been offered it and why they're there. It turns out when Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's son isn't getting an internship at PwC, which, by the way, is being investigated by the federal police over a tax scandal, he's being given membership to the Qantas Chairman's Lounge. By the way, that's an invitation-only lounge, not one you can get access to by accumulating air miles, which is probably just as well because Qantas air miles scheme sucks. So why then does the Qantas board not fire Alan Joyce? Why is he being given a final year bonus of $24 million on top of his annual salary of $4.7 million instead of being thrown out of an airlock at 40,000 feet? Qantas has today announced a profit of $2.47 billion for the year, which compares with a loss of $860 million the year before. Those losses sound bad until you remember that Qantas got $160.5 million in 2020 from JobKeeper and another $695.5 million in 2021. It also took a slice of the $1 billion subsidies under the International Freight Assistance Mechanism that continued into 2022 and it banked the bulk of an industry-wide $715 million regional assistance package. All this while Alan Joyce also negotiated an enterprise agreement with Qantas's domestic cabin crew that gave attendance a 3% increase in base pay plus minor increases to allowances, and they will finally receive bonuses from 2018 and 2022, which were withheld by the company on the basis that they were contingent on a new agreement, which is a legal form of blackmail, apparently. And their base pay increase is still 3% below inflation in the same period, which means they missed an actual raise by almost as large a margin as Qantas continues to miss departure times. So there, does that context help? See, wasn't it just easier for me to say Alan Joyce the fucking fuck instead and leave it at that?
Gabbing about Gabon news now. It's coup season in West Africa, where in the last three years there have been six coups already, with Mali, Guinea, Burkina Faso, Niger, Chad and Sudan all experiencing coups. And if you thought that's enough cooing even for now, you have to remember that coups in West Africa are like Marvel movies. There's always another one coming. Army officers have appeared on national television in Gabon, claiming they've taken power. Gabon, a former French colony, is located on the west coast of Central Africa. The army officers said they were annulling the results of Saturday's election that had returned President Ali Bongo to power. By the way, that phrase, a former French colony, is a little more important than you think. Because guess what other West African countries are former French colonies? Mali, Guinea, Burkina Faso, Niger, Chad, Sudan and Gabon. See, even though these countries aren't officially under French rule anymore, they've had long histories of corrupt governments propped up and supported by France, and a common symptom of the recent wave of coups has been anti-French rhetoric. Why, you ask, does France care about West Africa? Here's political risk analyst Marisa Lorenko on Al Jazeera English. You know, what does France really have to lose in this situation? And I think one thing that has been missing from this conversation so far is that some of the biggest companies in the world, like your oil and gas majors, engineering firms, they're French. And France, you know, needs to have good relations across the entire world, including in Africa, to also protect its economic interests. Because these companies, of course, with their major infrastructure projects, for example, they do support the French economy a lot. So this is really one of the big motivations that France has, and this is why it wants to keep its influence there. An example of that is Orano, a French uranium extraction company which gets 95% of the revenue from the uranium it extracts from Niger, while the local government gets 5%. So how does France maintain that control? Well, it's the French, so their colonialism isn't just going to be brutal, it's also villainously clever. See, France uses the CFA franc, a twin set of French-backed currencies used by eight West African countries and six Central African countries. Countries using CFA francs are required to store 50% of their currency reserves with the Banque de France, and the currencies are pegged to the euro. Think of it as a streaming subscription service that every month punches you in the face, takes you roughly from behind, then kicks your kids on the way out and in return all it gives you to watch are French soap operas where everyone has underarm hair and looks like Gerard Depardieu. The French have been characteristically French and blamed everyone else for successfully adopting their only worthwhile export, other than putting butter on everything, and that's revolutions. Here's Helene conway Moret, a senator for French citizens living abroad, which is apparently a job in France. It's very difficult now, you see, because for a very long time, um, two countries, namely Russia and China, have um, you know, used the social networks as a means to inform or disinform as it is, um, and um, have penetrated, you know, uh, the communication ways for the young population, which the, the, the countries were colonized uh, by France, um, and with the independence, you know, being, um, well, regained, what, 40, 50, you know, a, a few decades ago. So it is just, I suppose, you know, having, um, yeah, a scapegoat, um, you know, and it's always so much easier to blame somebody else just to forget about one's own failures to actually solve the uh, the problems. 
So there you go. The African countries need to stop blaming France, but France should be blaming Russia and China. See, even that excuse sounds so fucking French. That's it for this week's edition of Newsweeky. Please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review if you do get the opportunity. I'd really, really appreciate it. It helps with rankings and ratings and all that stuff. I still have some big news coming for Newsweekly sooner rather than later. Um, we're still waiting on ironing out some final details before I can make that announcement. And I think I'm doing one more week of God Forbid for ABC Radio National. If you want to tune into that this week, we just released the J.R.R. Tolkien episode, which I'm inordinately proud of and I absolutely, utterly adore door having done so uh, go listen to that otherwise i'll see you right back here next week on news weekly where we punch your news in the headlines weekly